Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Diving Board Podcast. I am your host, Jill, and thank you so much for joining me for a very special revival episode of the Diving Board Podcast. I really feel like this is our revival episode, our return to the scene. I am so sorry for going rogue for so long. I think it's been like two and a half weeks since I talked to you guys last. I've missed you all so much. Um, I won't bore you all with all the details, but basically I had finals week, so I had to take a few days to prep for finals and then take the finals and it was just a whole thing very stressful but the great thing is I am done with the hardest part of my MBA program so that is so important to me I feel so relieved and happy so I'm so happy that's over and I also um, I talked about it a few weeks ago but I have a really big change happening in my life that I'll talk about towards the end of the episode so that's been very stressful and time consuming so it's just been a very very busy time and I wanted to make sure that I recorded the next episode when I had time and I could produce quality content for you all because I love my divers, so I didn't want to put anything out that was subpar, only the best for all of you. So thank you all so much for bearing with me. I'm hoping now that things are kind of settling down and the whole when it rains it pours situation is kind of ending so I can be back to posting consistently and being punctual because you know that feeds my soul. So again, thank you all so much for bearing with me. I am so happy to be back in front of this microphone and talking to you all. And when I was thinking, okay, what should be our our revival episode and what's a crazy story in pop culture, this person I thought was the best episode to revive the Diving Board podcast and get us back into the swing of things because I would say in the last maybe 50 or so years of pop culture, this has to be one of the top scandals, one of the top just kind of stories in popular culture and even just news in general all over the world because for years and years, this person just consistently sent shockwaves through I would honestly say the entire world. So I thought, okay, this is this is the perfect episode to get back in. Perfect dive. We're going beneath the surface again after a couple of weeks. So I'm very, very excited. And also I grew up kind of being obsessed with this person. And when I thought of the idea for diving board, I made a list of all of the episodes that I wanted to do. And this person was at the top of the list. So I'm so excited to do this episode and tell this person's story. So without further ado, our first deep dive in a few weeks, I want you to get your prenups ready because we are deep diving in the weird, wild, and glamorous life of Miss Anna Nicole Smith. So as you know, this is the Diving Board Podcast, and in case you forgot, we always start from the very top. Who is Anna Nicole Smith? Well, Vicki Lynn Hogan was born on November 28th, 1967, our Sagittarius Queen in Houston, Texas. And her mother, Virgie Hogan, she was only 16 years old when she first had Anna slash Vicky. And her dad left the picture when Anna was just a baby. And her mom obviously was really, really young. So she had a lot, she had a hard time making ends meet. And she was involved with several different men. She was a sheriff's deputy. And they grew up very, very poor and just trying to get food on the table and live as normal of a life as possible. 
And Anna said her upbringing was very, very difficult because she said she dealt with a lot of abuse, various different forms of abuse from her stepfather and her brother growing up. So she said her childhood was just kind of extremely difficult and it was just hard to get through. She doesn't have fond memories of her childhood. But her mom says that her childhood was excellent and they had a great relationship, but that is not what Anna says. So there's very two conflicting stories, but Anna said that that her upbringing was, again, just very difficult. And eventually Anna, she left Houston when she was a preteen or just a fresh teenager and moved about two hours away to a very small town in Texas called Mejia. And she went there to live with her aunt because they had family in Mejia. And Anna felt really, really trapped in this small town. Her family says that she always talked about being famous. She always talked about being a model, how she just knew that there was something more for her and there was a life outside of this really, really small town that she lived in. And Anna actually dropped out of high school after her freshman year, and she started working at Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken. Now, Mejia was a very, very small town, so Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken was kind of like the meeting point. That is where like everybody went, so Anna got a job there, and this is where she met Billy Smith, who was working as the fry cook at the time. They locked eyes over that fryer and fell in love, which honestly... I would probably fall in love as well. That smell of fried chicken would probably just act as an intense pheromone for me. And, you know, I would fall in love with whoever was cooking fried chicken as well. So I totally get it. And by 1985, Anna was only 17. She decided to get married to Billy. And the following year, they had their son, Daniel. So Anna was really young. I think she was only 19 when she gave birth to Daniel. So everything moved very, very quickly. She was still only a teenager at this time. And her marriage to Billy Smith was actually super short-lived because by 1987, less than a year and a half of marriage, they separated. Anna said that Billy had been very verbally and physically abusive, so she wanted to get out of there, and she took Daniel with her and moved back to Houston. And when Anna moved back to Houston, she was... 19, maybe just turned 20 years old, and she had a very young son. So she's like, I really need to make ends meet. So she was taking jobs at Walmart. She was a server at Red Lobster, but she realized these jobs weren't really bringing in a lot of money. But one night when she was driving in Houston, she saw a billboard for a topless bar called Gigi's. She said it was a really neon, flashy, topless bar billboard. And she's like, okay, I want to see what it's all about. So she went in and she really had no intentions of being a dancer because Anna admitted herself. She didn't know how to dance. So she said, can I be a bartender? And they said, well, you know, you're not 21 yet. So you're too young to be a bartender, but we do have positions available for dancers. So if you want to audition, go for it. So she's like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll try it out. But like Anna said, she was not a good dancer. So the people were like, you're awful, but you have something. So we're going to put you on the day shift. And of course the best shifts at the strip clubs are going to be the night shifts. That's when everyone goes, but she needed a job. So she took it. Anna said when she first started dancing, she's like, I was embarrassed. I kind of felt ashamed of myself, but she was like the first shift I got through it. And I looked down and I had $50 
cash to my name. And she was like, back then that was so much money. So she realized there is some coin to be made when we're taking our clothes off. So she's like, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to work the night shift. I'm going to hustle. And back then, I mean, Anna was not the obviously complete blonde bombshell that we grew up knowing and loving. She had mousy brown hair. She had a really large kind of angular jaw. Her cheekbones were really, really beautiful. Her bone structure is really beautiful, but it took her a little while to grow into it. And she was also surprisingly very, very flat chested. And a lot of people pointed this out to her. So she was super insecure about how flat chested she was. But Anna, I mean, she was a hustler and she became more and more confident as the shifts went on and she bought sexier clothing. She bleached her hair really, really blonde and she really just embraced the lifestyle. And after taking more and more shifts, she was able to afford to buy breast implants. And because she was naturally so flat chested, it took several surgeries to create her famous chest that she was known for. I think she was a double F So she went from quite small to quite large. And when it was all said and done, she had two implants in each breast and was carrying around three pints of fluid on her chest. So that is um, insane. That is quite heavy to be carrying around day in and day out. There was... There was a lot to kind of balance there. So, but this was Anna's dream. I mean, she really wanted to create this image and she created the image of a total, complete glamazon. I mean, this woman was five foot 11, bleach blonde hair, huge boobs. I mean, she was something to be seen and she was everything that she wanted to be. And she thought, okay, it's all coming together now. So Anna was still working the day shift. Uh, She was sometimes a night shift girl, but mainly she was always on the day shift. And this came in handy for her eventually because she got the older crowd. I mean, she got the older gentlemen who couldn't stay up past nine. So when they wanted to go to the club, they would go in the morning or the afternoon, you know, kind of get that early bird special. And one afternoon, a very wealthy and very old gentleman was wheeled into the club by his driver and his driver wheeled him up right in the front of the stage and the lights dimmed the music played and out walked a five foot eleven absolute glamazon in a red slinky dress and anna was going by the name nikki at the time and she wasn't a great dancer like we said but she had a very entrancing energy So she was shimmying up there on the stage. Soon her dress was gone and Anna locked eyes with that older gentleman and she knelt down and showed off her recently enhanced chest and he smiled and he reached out and she put his hands, one hand on each and he just held them and he had the biggest smile on his face. And Anna probably thought like, oh dear God, but at least this surgery had already started paying for itself. And of course, this man was none other than J. Howard Marshall. And J. Howard Marshall, for a little background on this gentleman, he was really the embodiment of the American dream. He grew up very humbly, but he went to Yale to become an attorney. He then became an absolute oil tycoon and was one of the early investors of Koch Industries, which is a huge 
energy conglomerate. So he actually owned about 16% of the company. And Koch is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar company. So to own that amount of it, I mean, he was a very, very wealthy man. And he was a billionaire in like the 80s, which is, I mean, obviously a billionaire is a ton of money, but back then it was even more money. And he was one of the richest men in the country. And he was 86 years old in October of 1991 when he first met Anna at Gigi's. And Jay Howard, he actually met Anna at a very, very sad time in his life. Jay Howard was married to his longtime wife, Betty, since 1961. But by the early 1980s, Betty was unfortunately diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. So super, super sad. And as Betty's condition worsened, Jay Howard, he actually began looking outside of the marriage for someone to tend to his needs. And he found that in an exotic dancer named Lady Walker. And he actually met Lady Walker, I believe at Gigi's or a different club. And for years they carried on an absolutely torrid love affair. Like they were obsessed with each other. And Jay Howard showered Lady Walker in gifts. I mean, lavish doesn't even begin to cover it. He would buy her Rolls Royces to match her outfits. She would have her nails done in 24 karat gold nails, which is kind of a serve. Uh, she was on the payroll at Jay Howard's company, and she had a very, very sizable salary. I mean, she was considered an employee at his company, and she was very, very well taken care of. And Jay Howard actually told his son Pierce that if anything ever happened to him, Lady Walker needed to be taken care of unconditionally. This story was low-key interesting. I'm like, I kind of want to know more about Lady Walker. It's just kind of was an interesting tale. So they carried on this love affair for years. I mean, probably over a decade. And Lady Walker really was the love of Jay Howard's late life. He just really, really loved her. They wrote each other love notes all the time, and they were just adoring of each other. And all of this came to a screeching halt in July of 1991 when Lady Walker died unexpectedly on the operating table while she was getting a just a routine facelift. And she was 51 years old at the time, and she suffered a brain aneurysm and died while under anesthesia. And of course, Jay Howard was absolutely devastated. He didn't expect this to happen at all. I mean, he was in his 80s at the time. I mean, Lady Walker, she was 51 years old, but still a huge age difference because Jay Howard was much, much older. And of course, he was devastated. He spent $52,000 on her funeral, which of course, we'd love our inflation calculators here on the Diving Board Podcast. That would be over $110,000 today that Jay Howard had spent on her funeral. So a lot of coin. She meant a lot to him. And only two months later, after Lady Marshall died, his wife Betty unfortunately succumbed to her illness and passed away. So a lot was happening to Jay Howard all at once and he was very old and it was just taking a huge toll on him he got really really depressed and he became extremely frail he was emaciated he really had no will to live until his driver was like hey let's go to Gigi's let's see if we could cheer you up and that was when he met Anna 
And the day they met, they actually spent the night together that night in a hotel. And, you know, they kind of exchanged stories over room service. Anna thought Jay Howard was really interesting. And Jay Howard thought Anna was really funny. She always kind of had just a really funny side to her. And they really just enjoyed each other's company. And later that day, after they were you know, enjoying room service in the hotel, Anna said, hey, I got to go back to the day shift at Gigi's and get back to work. But Jay Howard flat out said, Vicky, which was she, her name was at the time, you never have to go to work a day in your life again. Let me take care of you. And this was much to Jay Howard's handler and son's dismay because he had already fallen in love completely head over heels for Anna slash Vicky. And they had already been down this road before with Lady Walker. So Jay Howard's son, Pierce, he knew how expensive it was for his dad to have a girlfriend. His dad was a hopeless romantic and he had the money and he wanted to shell it out on the women in his life. So Pierce, Pierce knew how big of a hit this was going to be to their pocketbook. And Pierce tried to talk his dad out of falling in love with another woman. And he said, this woman is young enough to be your granddaughter, young enough almost to be your great granddaughter. And what are you doing? But Jay Howard quickly quit back. You know, dude, you're just jealous. I've got this girl on my arm. She loves me. Pipe down. And soon, I mean, Jay Howard was telling everyone in his life that he was in love. He had met somebody. He was telling his secretary at work. He was telling anybody who would listen that he had met somebody and he had fallen in love again. And he would be at work and he would tell his secretary, call up Vicky, see what Vicky is doing every single day. He just wanted to be around her. And soon Jay Howard told Vicky slash Anna, you need to stop dancing altogether. No more working. He bought her a bright red Mercedes convertible mood. So 90s. I live for it. He would take her to Harry Winston and buy her millions of dollars worth of jewelry. She was put on the Marshall Petroleum payroll. I mean, she was getting nearly $4,000 a month, which would be about $8,000 a month in today's money for quote, consulting, which girl, I don't even want to know what they were consulting on. How dirty. Um, <laughs> but they, she was well taken care of. And their relationship just kept on growing. They were getting really, really serious. Jay Howard would take her out on dates to his favorite restaurant, Red Lobster, which every doc I've watched about this, they're like, a billionaire's favorite restaurant is Red Lobster, which I am honestly obsessed with the fact that he loved Red Lobster because personally, I think those garlic cheddar biscuits are worth a billion dollars themselves. And no matter how much money I ever made in life, I would still be at the Olive Garden. I don't care what anyone has to say. I am from the suburbs. I like a chain restaurant. So I'm with J. Howard Marshall on this one. And I know you're probably thinking, because it's a natural thought, was Anna intimate with J. Howard Marshall? And Anna, I mean, she was to the extent that he was capable and he had truly fallen in love with her. It wasn't just lust anymore. He really, really wanted to spend the rest of his life with Anna. And Anna would tell him as well that she loved him. And she started referring to him as Pawpaw, which... Okay. And um, <laughs> it just writes itself at this point. Um, now, throughout all of this, Anna 
she, of course, still had other relationships going on. I mean, we didn't expect this 24-year-old girl to be in a totally committed relationship with an 88-year-old man. It just wouldn't make sense. And she was dating men. She was actually in a very long-term relationship with a woman she had met out one night. So they had a relationship on and off for a couple of years. And Anna was very, very fluid with her sexuality. She just liked everybody. And this is a very, very different arrangement than the Girls Next Door had with Hugh Hefner. Plug if you want to listen to the Girls Next Door episode, because Hugh said, you cannot date anybody else but me. I am the only 80-year-old boyfriend that you can have. But Jay Howard, he wasn't stupid, and he understood that Anna was a 24-year-old, absolutely beautiful woman. There would be other people, but he said, just out of everyone, make me the top priority. If she was out with someone and he called, he expected, drop everything and come to me, which honestly, I think is a fair trade-off. It makes sense to me. I think, like I said, it's he was fair about it all and understanding. So during this time, Anna was also dating a bodybuilder named Clay Spires, and he obviously noticed how beautiful Anna was, so he decided to send in some pictures of her to Playboy. And this happens to a lot of women. This actually is how Kendra Wilkinson was discovered, another plug for the Girls Next Door episode. Her boyfriend had actually sent in pictures of her to the Playboy Mansion. So this is pretty common. So after seeing Anna's pictures, Playboy wanted to see more. They were interested. So they flew her out to Los Angeles. And this was her first time ever on an airplane. And when she landed and started taking test shots, they were absolutely enamored with her beauty. So they took some more shots. And And before Anna knew it, she was on the cover of Playboy's March 1992 issue, and she reappeared again in May's centerfold. So it was an absolute whirlwind. And at this time, she was still going as Vicki Smith. So when she was on that cover, she was listed as Vicki Smith. So this was before her whole image had been created. So soon after her success with Playboy, she was contacted by Paul Marciano, which if you were a magazine kid in the early 2000s, you always saw the Paul Marciano ads, and he was the president of Guest Jeans. So he wanted to meet with her, and he was also absolutely taken with her breathtaking beauty, and he asked her if she wanted to inherit Claudia Schiffer's previous role as the guest girl. And the guest girl was a very, very big deal back then. But first he said, you know, if we're going to make you this big guest girl, we need to do something about your name. Like Vicki Smith is just not going to cut it. And Anna was like, okay, well, I've been thinking about Anna Smith. And Paul Marciano was like, okay, not bad, but it needs something else. Let's add a Nicole in there. And thus Anna Nicole Smith was officially born. And her first shot for guests was this black and white shot of her laying in hay. And she had a little straw hanging from her mouth, a a little hay straw. And this became honestly instantly iconic. It's just such a beautiful shot. It's like old Hollywood, but yet modern 90s. I mean, it was modern back then. And It was just very striking. You wanted to know more about who this woman was. And her billboards, when they put up her guest pictures, 
they were causing literal car crashes all over the world. I mean, Norway actually wanted to make them illegal because they were so dangerous. People couldn't keep their eyes on the road. They were looking too much at her billboards. And she became the 1993 Playmate of the Year. She was taking the world by absolute storm. Everyone wanted to know who Anna Nicole Smith was, and they could not get enough of her. And the thing was, Anna was so different than the supermodels that we were seeing in the early 1990s. I mean, I've always been really into early 90s fashion and supermodels. And if you are too, you know the movement, the fashion model movement of heroin chic. Now, if you don't know what heroin chic was, it's kind of jarring when you hear the term, but it was a style in the early 90s of supermodels that was kind of spearheaded by Gia Karangi. Gia was a really popular supermodel. There was a movie about her. Angelina Jolie played her. I think it came out like 20 years ago. It was called Gia. It's a good movie if you want to know more about this, but Gia was the kind of the leader of the heroin chic moment. Kate Moss also fit into that style. And it was kind of piggybacked off the grunge movement of the early 90s of being really pale. You had really dark circles. Your hair was always kind of messy. And you were so, so thin that it honestly looked like you had a drug problem. Like you could only be that thin if you were doing a lot of drugs. Now, of course, a movement like this could not happen today thank God. But back then, this is what models looked like. And that's what it was called. And when Anna hit the scene, I mean, she was the complete antithesis of the heroin chic movement, the really popular thin model movement. I mean, she was 5'11". She was curvy. She was extremely voluptuous. She was tan. She was blonde. I mean, she was an absolutely stunning glamazon. And, and men just fawned over this. I mean, they could not get enough of her. And she also really resonated with so many women because she had meat on her bones. And men and women alike just were so taken with her. And she really was in the early 90s, kind of Marilyn Monroe. And they had similarities. I mean, Anna really, really resonated with Marilyn Monroe. And that's why she wanted to create this image that she looked so similar to her because, you know, we had Vicki Lynn Hogan from a really small town and she eventually became Anna Nicole Smith. And we had Norma Jean Baker, a girl from a really small town, and she eventually became Marilyn Monroe. I mean, these are two women who really, really built their images and became absolute icons from really, really humble beginnings. So Anna really, really resonated and looked up to Marilyn Monroe. She really was her idol. And, you know, a year earlier, she was working the day shift at Gigi's, and now she becomes one of the most famous models in the world. She was in Naked Gun with Leslie Nielsen. She was in a Coen Brothers movie. She was she was doing her thing, and her career was really, really taken off. And of course, Jay Howard, he was over the moon proud. He was always very, very supportive of Anna. And he knew that he had to up his game because now Anna was making her own money. I mean, she could take care of herself. So he had to keep shelling out more cash because he's like, this woman doesn't necessarily need me anymore. And he started renting out Marilyn Monroe's old house in California for Anna to stay at. He got her an apartment in New York City. He bought her a ranch in Houston. He also got her a 100,000 engagement ring. And he asked her to marry him. 
And according to Anna, this wasn't the first time Jay Howard had actually proposed to her. She said after the first week that they met, Jay Howard had been asking, please marry me, please marry me. But Anna, according to Anna, she insisted that she wanted to be successful on her own. She wanted to make something of herself. She wanted to be able to support herself before she would consider getting married to Jay Howard. And if that is true, we love that. We love an independent woman here on the Diving Board Podcast. That is really admirable. And now, since Anna had finally established herself as an independent woman and she was really wealthy on her own, she finally said, okay, I'm going to take you up on your offer, Jay Howard, and we're going to get married. I'll finally agree to marry you. And that happened on June 27th, 1994. Anna and Jay Howard Marshall were officially wed. And Jay Howard was wheeled down the aisle and he tried to stand when Anna walked down the aisle, but he was so frail that he was not able to stand on his own. And this kind of showed you just how old J. Howard Marshall actually was. He was 90 years old. And we have 26-year-old Anna Nicole Smith as his bride. So it kind of was a spectacle because of that massive age difference. And because this was such a spectacle, it became a media frenzy. Every late night talk show host was making jokes, obviously about the age difference. The press was having a field day. It was a low hanging fruit. It was easy to poke fun at. And Anna went from playmate of the year to America's punchline overnight, it seems. I mean, she was on the cover of New York Magazine in August of 1994. And they told her, we really just want to portray the all-American girl, you know, down to earth, easy to relate to. And the cover was her in cutoff shorts, cutoff shirt. She had her hand in a bag of potato chips. And it's actually a really pretty picture. And it was supposed to just portray like the average American girl, like the girl next door. And when the cover came out, It was her picture and New York Magazine had printed the words white trash nation over her picture. So this was a total curveball for Anna. She didn't know like that's what the cover story was going to be about and they were going to use her picture for that. It was just it was very, very misleading. And also New York Magazine has been known to do this because do we remember the Sex in the City episode, They Shoot Single People, Don't They? Where Carrie Bradshaw was propositioned to be in New York Magazine for Single and Fabulous. But then the cover comes out and it's a very unflattering picture of Carrie and the words single and fabulous question mark are printed over her. I really wonder if that was where that plot line came from. It had to be, right? Unless New York Magazine is known to do this. I just thought I was like, wait, we've been down this road with Miss Carrie Bradshaw. So Anna really was the real life version of that. She didn't know that was coming. But like I said, Anna was really America's punchline. Anna wasn't a supermodel who came from a ton of wealth or came from a really prominent family. She wasn't Gigi Hadid or Kendall Jenner. I mean, she came from the middle of nowhere. She had a ninth grade education. She was a teen mom. I mean, she got super, super famous and then married a billionaire who was 60 years older than her. I mean, you couldn't write this. This was a definite truth is stranger than fiction story. And it was just just a crazy story and the, the press was all over it. And they really wanted to portray Anna as what other countries around the world see as the 
quote, typical American, you know, the deep South, gunslinging, hand in the potato chip bag. It was just an easy target for people to really exploit that image. And Anna was the victim of all of that. But Anna, I mean, she didn't quite help her case either. She was constantly gallivanting all over the country with different men and women. She was romantic with so many different people. And even the day after their wedding, she told Jay Howard, all right, bye. I'm going to go jet off to a photo shoot with my bodyguard. And Jay Howard kept saying, no, you're my wife now. I mean, you don't have to work. You don't have to do any of this. You don't have to take any more gigs. And she would say, sorry, Papa. I'll see you in a couple days. Deuces. So she left the 90-year-old newlywed reportedly crying in his wheelchair because he just wanted to spend time with her. But Anna wanted to go off and do other things with other people. And I mean, it doesn't really look good when you're trying to convince people that you're in love with this guy. And I mean, do I really think Anna was in love with him? No, of course not. I don't think she was romantically in love with J. Howard Marshall, but I do think she saw him as a comfort figure or a provider. And he really took her out of a situation that was very, very hard to be in. I mean, being a sex worker is very, very, very difficult. And he was able to take her out of that. He was able to provide for her and her son. And he gave her an outrageous life that maybe 0.5% of people get to experience, maybe 0.25% of people get to experience. I mean, it was absolutely crazy what he could provide to her. And, you know, it's nice when someone spoils you, but when you're a mother and someone is also spoiling your baby, I mean, and you see how happy they are, it really does have you, you know, gives you a strong affection for this person. So I do think that there was love there. I do think there was affection there, but I don't think that there was a romantic in love with Jay Howard. And J. Howard Marshall's son, Pierce, obviously knew this. He was also a very smart guy. So he got to work in and he wasted no time because he did not want this blonde bombshells, well manicured hand dipping into the Marshall cookie jar. Pierce was making sure that he was kind of hiding the shares of Koch Industries that the Marshall family owned so that Anna could not get a hold of them. And at the time, these shares were paying out nearly $8 million a year in dividends. So that amount has only skyrocketed as time has gone by. So these were really, really valuable stocks to own. He was also working on rewriting J. Howard Marshall's will to become his power of attorney and make sure Anna wasn't mentioned at all in it. He had J. Howard sign this without even being able to see the document. I mean, J. Howard was 90 years old. The only way that he could read was if he had a really, really big manu- uh, magnifying glass. So Pierce was having him sign things when he didn't even know it was on the paper. And for the first year, the couple, they remained married. And in the times they did see each other, they spent time on their ranch in Texas. You know, they there's a picture of Anna with J. Howard Marshall hanging on to her on the back of an ATV. They were doing their thing. They would spend time in the you know, Marilyn Monroe bungalow. And sometimes when Anna couldn't sleep, J. Howard would shuttle in one of the lambs from their Houston ranch. And he would put the lamb in the bed for Anna to like cuddle and sleep with all night. So, 
I mean, this is very, very Marie Antoinette. I mean, it's very interesting situation, but it also shows, I mean, Jay Howard would do anything to make Anna happy. And he really, really did want to make her happy until he couldn't. In January 1995, Jay Howard was omitted to the hospital, and this actually happened after Anna was spoon-feeding him some chicken broth after she was instructed that Jay Howard could only be fed through a tube. So this was really, really dangerous. He started choking, he lost consciousness, and he was admitted to the hospital. And he was in the hospital for the rest of his life. And during this time, Pierce Marshall, he acted fast and he became his absolute legal guardian. He wanted to be able to control any move that J. Howard Marshall could make. And he quickly cut off Anna's $50,000 a month spousal support, which started a legal battle between her and Pierce. So that was the beginning of their legal battle. And when J. Howard Marshall was in the hospital, Anna was only allowed to see him a small handful of times, but she made sure she was very strategic with these visits. She'd crawl into bed with her husband. She would take her top off. She would take her bra off. She would you know, display the assets for him. And she would also hit play on the handheld tape recorder that she had in her hand. Because the kids who are listening, this is what we would use back then. We didn't have our phones to record, so we had the handheld tape recorders that we would hit play with a cassette. And I remember my mom had one, and I would always sing into it. And I would always sing because I thought I was like such a good singer as a kid. <laughs> so embarrassing. I would always sing that song from A Walk to Remember, and I would like belt it out, and then I would play it back, be like, okay, I'm probably going to send this to a record label, play it back and be like, oh my God, <laughs> like, who is that singing? That is not me. Because <laughs> I always thought I was so amazing. Or I would sing into the answering machine. Like, I would make up a song about leaving a message and I would sing that in, for the outgoing message on the machine. And my mom would just leave it for a few days until she would have to change it because it was like unprofessional when people from work would call. But it's like, my mom was very good about that. She always let me use the answering machine outgoing message as a form of creative expression. So <laughs> that is what we used back then. But Anna, she was not trying to get Jay Howard to sing into this tape recorder. She wanted him to say a few certain things, some, some strategic proclamations that she could use when she needed them in the near future. I mean, she knew that she was going to have to use this soon. And she really knew how to use her sexiness and her body to tempt Jay Howard. And she would coerce him into saying, you'll get half. I'm your wife. I deserve half, right? You promise I'll get half. I mean, this poor old man, I mean, he is fighting for his life. We have Pierce making him sign things he can't even read. We have Anna with her boobs out trying to get Jay Howard to utter that she'll get half of the money. Like, here I am feeling bad for Jay Howard Marshall. I mean, greed is a very, very real thing. But Pierce Marshall, I mean, he was no dummy and he knew what was happening. So he started legally forbidding Anna or her son Daniel from visiting J. Howard Marshall. And Anna said J. Howard would cry. He would be looking for his wife, but she was kept from seeing him. Like she just wasn't able to go because J. Howard or Marshall's son Pierce knew what was going on. 
And by August 1995, just 14 months after they got married, J. Howard Marshall passed away at the age of 90 years old. And Anna and Pierce Marshall could not get along about anything. They fought over how J. Howard Marshall was even going to be laid to rest. So they actually had to have two different funerals because they could not come to a decision. Pierce Marshall wanted to cremate J. Howard per his wishes, but Anna did not agree. So they had to have two different viewings of the body. So at Anna's funeral that she had for J. Howard, she actually wore her white wedding gown that she wore at the wedding and her son Daniel actually wore the same white tuxedo that he wore at their wedding and she even got up there and sang the Bette Midler classic Wind Beneath My Wings. I mean this whole thing was camp. This whole thing was pure camp. I kind of live for it but you know what an icon and the fact that her performance of Wind Beneath My Wings wasn't on film. I mean, that's the true crime here. But you know, like I said, they couldn't agree on anything. And and the legal battle between Pierce and Anna was really just getting started because Anna soon found out she was nowhere on the will. I mean, this was a woman who was expecting half and now she realizes, girl, you're not getting anything. And she immediately spirals. By November 1995, Anna was admitted to the hospital after what was described as an, quote, adverse reaction to prescription medication. And she had gone without oxygen for so long that the doctors actually feared that she would wake up and have serious brain damage. And Anna had a long history with prescription pill abuse, dating back from her time at Gigi's. I mean, at this point, she had multiple breast surgeries. They were extremely heavy. Imagine having to carry that around all the time. And and it made her really, really dependent on painkillers. And when she was at Gigi's, there was a lot of pills floating around. She was taking everything she could get her hands on. And her multiple breast implants were also causing lumps in her breasts and a myriad of health issues. And again, this made her dependent on a bunch of different prescription drugs. And by early 1996, Anna said that she was over $9 million in debt and filed personal bankruptcy. She was still awaiting trial for the suit she filed against Pierce Marshall for interfering with her inheritance. And after filing bankruptcy, Pierce Marshall also filed a defamation suit against Anna, and he was trying to sue her for the slanderous comments she had allegedly made about him. And honestly, this was probably the worst mistake that Pierce ever made because it forced the court to launch a complete investigation into their entire history together. So this wouldn't have happened if Pierce did not file this defamation lawsuit. So this is probably the worst thing that he ever did. And another case was being launched regarding the entire divvying of the Marshall estate. But but that case was so complex that it would honestly take years before they went to trial because there was so much to gather and for everybody to figure out. So while the court was preparing the cases, Anna was really trying to make an attempt to make a comeback. She had moved into a house in the Valley with her son and a low-level film producer, Ray Martino. And Ray says Anna talked about Jay Howard a lot. And she was really, really depressed. I mean, I think Anna thought she was set for life and she was going to be an extremely rich woman. And it all kind of 
came crashing down rather quickly. So he said, you know, you really, really have a bad drug problem. You should check yourself into the Betty Ford. So she checked herself in the Betty Ford in an attempt to get sober. But this only lasted about three months before Anna began using again. And she was also continuing to have really serious complications with her breast implants. And one actually burst one day and she was in the bathroom. Ray Martino hears her screaming. He runs in the bathroom. She's holding her breast. Her implant had actually burst inside of her. Her nipple had split open and she needed emergency surgery. And thus she was back on the painkillers. So this was a really, really bad situation. And through all of this legal mess, her team, her lawyer team had actually dropped her. They were like, we can't support you. We don't know what's going to happen. You're not in a great frame of mind. We're not going to represent you anymore. So Anna had to recruit her new team and she settled on a then 29 year old UCLA law grad, Howard K. Stern, which is no relation to Howard Stern, totally different. And he seemed really, really taken with Anna. He just what thought she was beautiful. He thought she was funny. And Anna trusted him and she thought this is a great confidant. So he became her legal advisor for the rest of her life. And now this is where things start getting complicated, even though if it's not complicated enough, this is when it's really starting to get complicated. By the year 2000, so a few years have gone by, by the year 2000, the bankruptcy trial had started. So she had filed that personal bankruptcy and the trial for that had commenced. And during this trial, J. Howard Marshall III, so different son, not Pierce, he, J. Howard Marshall III, he had actually testified in Anna's favor. He did not like Pierce Marshall. The two brothers did not get along because there was a big disagreement. So J. Howard Marshall Sr., he had actually kind of disowned J. Howard Marshall III. And he said, I don't want you to have any of the money. So he took him out of the will. So J. Howard Marshall III had some animosity. He did not want Pierce to win. So he actually testified in Anna's favor during the bankruptcy trial. Like I said, he didn't like Pierce, so he had formed an alliance with Anna. And stunningly, the bankruptcy court sided with Anna because here we had J. Howard Marshall III saying Anna loved him. She talked about all the time how much she loved my father. I think she deserves the money. And they agree. And on October 6, 2000, the U.S. Bankruptcy Court Judge Samuel Bufford ruled that Anna Nicole Smith was entitled to $450 million from her late husband. And he also ruled that her stepson, Pierce Marshall, should pay an additional $25 million in punitive damages. He said, you know, your actions towards Anna Nicole are intentional and reprehensible. I mean, it was obvious that he hated her and he was coming after her and the court noticed that. Uh, But Pierce, I mean, that bitch was not phased because he knew his day in court was coming. And the state probate trial over the inheritance after years was finally underway. And Pierce was out for blood. He had hired one of the best defense attorneys in the country named Rusty Hardin to represent him. And Rusty, for for some perspective, he had represented Arthur Anderson in the Enron scandal. He had represented a ton of professional athletes. He had actually represented Joel Osteen's wife. He was literally the top dog of defense attorneys. I mean, if you had money, you were hiring Rusty Hardin. 
And he was going up against Anna, who was what? Like accused of being a gold digger? I mean, it was just insane the amount that Pierce Marshall was after because he just, he hated her. And the trial was intense. I mean, I've watched footage of this trial for 20 years, just clips and have seen the footage over and over and over because I've watched so many documentaries over the years and it still blows my mind. I mean, Anna was absolutely no match for Rusty Harden. I don't think really any of us would be a match for Rusty Harden. I mean, he's a brilliant defense attorney and he would just try to trip her up with using larger words and Anna would get really easily overwhelmed. I mean, you have to remember, Anna only had a ninth grade education. Anna really didn't know how to read very well, and she didn't know how to behave in a trial. And she would show up in certain clothing, or they said, you know, she would show up in all of this elaborate stuff. And during the time when she would have to walk through the metal detectors, they would keep asking her just to remove clothing and people would just be staring at her because she would come in the really, really wild outfits. She showed up one day to trial in like this crushed pink velvet shirt and it had the word spoiled on it and it was bedazzled with jewels. And, and I mean, that is probably the most iconic part of this case. I mean, you're showing up to a trial over inheritance in a shirt that says spoiled so early 2000s. It like I live for it. But really, like if you've watched any clips of the trial, you know this moment. And this is probably the most infamous moment of the case is when Rusty is really grilling Anna and she starts breaking down. She's crying and he turns to her and goes, Miss Marshall, have uh, you been taking acting lessons? And she goes, screw you, Rusty. Like that is the behavior of this trial. And I mean, I think a lot of people would like to say, screw you, Rusty, but Anna was the only one who had the nerve to do it. But it was really a free for all. And just But when you really watch the footage, really the most jarring thing is you can tell that Anna is really self-medicating during it with prescription drugs and she disassociates a lot. Like they'll be talking to her and you could tell she's just on another planet and she'll say, can you repeat the question? Because she just wasn't paying attention. And it's uncomfortable to watch because here's a woman who is going through a really, really hard time in her life. She doesn't know how to cope with it. She doesn't know what to do. We have a really, really hard defense attorney. It was like using like a bow and arrow to kill a fly. Like we did not need Rusty Harden to grill Anna Nicole Smith like this. It was it was intense. It's a very intense trial. And after five months of the trial, the court unanimously sides with Pierce. And Pierce tried to claim that the bankruptcy court who originally awarded the $450 million lacked jurisdiction, but the court actually did side with the bankruptcy court. The state court sided with the bankruptcy court, but they lowered her award to $88 million because that did coincide with what J. Howard Marshall had actually said of, I'm going to give you half of what I make during the time we're together. So he probably made around $200 million during the time that they were married. So the $88 million was half of that, and that was going to be Anna's award. And she was also awarded $44 million of punitive damages from Pierce Marshall because the court really could see he was going after her. He wanted to sue her for everything, and they they awarded her that. So, I mean, that was 
a nice, nice settlement. But Pierce, of course, was not going to take this lying down and he appealed. And here's the thing. If Pierce never filed that defamation suit, this really probably would have been the end of most of the legal troubles. But he was greedy. I mean, rich people can be very, very greedy because Pierce didn't think she was owed this. I mean, Pierce honestly probably was worth billions of dollars at that point. And I get a hundred something million dollars is a ton of money. But if you are a billionaire and you could be like, okay, it'll end if I just give this woman her money because she was married to my dad. She was legally married to my dad and we can end this. But he didn't want to, he didn't want to give her a dime. He did not think she was owed a dime. So that hundred million dollars, he was going to fight for it because Pierce didn't think she was owed this. I mean, J. Howard Marshall, he did set her up when they were together and he probably bought her about, they estimated about $12 million worth of assets. But just like Pierce was greedy, Anna herself was greedy. I mean, Anna just had a very, very gluttonous personality. She liked to eat a lot. She liked to drink a lot. She liked to do a lot of drugs and she liked to spend a lot of money. I mean, even she said in the court system, she was Erica Jane before Erica Jane even existed. She said word for word, it is expensive to be me. She's like, I am constantly going to the salon, all this stuff. She goes, it's expensive to maintain all of this, which no one's going to feel bad for you, Anna. But I mean, she was greedy and she liked to spend a lot of money. Her old girlfriend, Sandy Powledge, said Anna was like a bucket with a hole in it. You could not give her enough. You could not give her enough money. You could not give her enough love. You just, she always just wanted more. So just as the dust was settling on the courtroom after this insane trial, the E! Network, they see a train wreck and they say, we got to film this. We have to get on this. So they reach out to Anna to film a reality show, and that would really be the first of its kind on their network. So the Osbournes were kind of like the first of its kind of following a family around and doing a kind of a sitcom-y reality show. And that show was doing so amazing on MTV. I mean, you know I loved the Osbournes. It was a really, really fun show. And E, they wanted to answer to that. They were like, we need to figure out what we can do. So they pitched the Anna Nicole show. And Anna's entire family and inner circle, I mean, they were so against it. Her son in particular, he was like vehemently against the show. But Anna really, really wanted to launch her career again. So she said, okay, we'll do this. And like I said, there were not reality shows to base on. I mean, Anna really was paving the way. And the show premiered in August of 2002 on the E! Network, and it premiered to 4 million viewers, which at the time was by far the highest watched show on the E! Network. I mean, of course people were tuning in. Like, they wanted to see this. Like I said, it was a train wreck, and it's human nature to watch a spectacle. And I mean, this show, like I said, was one of the first of its kind, so we were already hooked. But this was so insane to do a show right after the trial, after this insane trial that we've all been watching for months. Like, think of like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Imagine if after this trial ends, a few months later, Amber Heard comes out with a reality show. Like we're all gonna watch at least that first episode because it's a spectacle and we wanna know, like we're stunned. We wanna know more information. And I mean, we can't help but watch even if we're hate watching. And the show was a spectacle. I mean, I've spent the last two weeks watching 
every single episode of the Anna Nicole show or as much as I can find, because again, petition to get these shows on streaming, but it's kind of hard. I watch it in clips on YouTube. And can you imagine like this has been like the busiest two weeks of my life, the most stressful two weeks. And all the TV I've been watching is the Anna Nicole show. Like it's been, it's been crazy. It's been kind of a mind warp, but I will do anything for you guys. So it's been, it's been nuts. But the show itself is another one of those sitcom shows from the early 2000s. And it wasn't exactly reality TV. It's like the network putting them in situations and seeing how they would act. Like that's all the show was. And it really chronicled the fact that Anna had, quote, gained a lot of weight, which she didn't. I mean, she still looked absolutely beautiful, but this was 2002 when the beauty standard was being really, really thin. So people poked fun at her all the time about it. It was, it was awful. And it showed her largely being out of it. I mean, she really was the female Ozzy Osbourne. Like she would talk, like you couldn't really understand what she was saying. And she would weirdly kind of like make love to the camera and she would flirt with the screen. And I mean, she was really, really good at that. Like you can tell that was why she landed J. Howard Marshall. And she would always do that. And she would just do crazy stuff. She was constantly screaming, Kimmy, for her assistant. And she tried to bring her mini poodle sugar pie with her everywhere. And really like the antagonist, the villain of the show was Bobby Trendy, her interior designer. And it was kind of funny, (laughs) like he would just do all these crazy interior designs and then they would fight about it. And he kind of became the crazy villain, which I kind of think I grew up to be Bobby Trendy. I kind of love him. And Howard K. Stern was in every single episode. And and you can tell he was definitely the enabler in every sense of the word. And they had a very interesting asexual relationship. Like they would be making out and stuff, but you could tell Anna was just not into him. Like that was her friend. But you could tell Howard was in love with Anna. And you saw Anna's cousin, Shelly, who was kind of like the connection to Anna's hometown. And that was kind of like our connection of what Anna would probably turn out as if she didn't leave Mejia. And you also saw her interactions with Daniel, who was really, really shy. He was a teenager during the show. And that was really the best part of the show was how great of a mother Anna was to Daniel. It was like so sweet to watch those moments. But her legal team, I mean, they said in an article that I read that Anna had a very dark side. Like they said she would get very, very angry. There was a dark side to Anna, but she was also very generous and nice to her team and the people closest to her. And you see that on the show. Like that was really, really nice to watch to see like Anna's kindness. So the show is insane. And the show is kind of a lot to watch because it gets progressively weirder. But if you are going to watch any part of the show, you need to watch the Christmas party the Anna Nicole Christmas special where she hosts a Christmas party. Literally all you have to do is go to YouTube and type in Anna Nicole Christmas party. And it is 20 minutes of absolute sheer insanity. It's where she hosts a party at her house 
And all of these random celebrities show up, like Margaret Cho is there, Kathy Griffin, China Doll, remember the wrestler China? She shows up. A ton of other random celebrities show up. We got Cousin Shelly singing on the karaoke machine. She's singing uh, like Little Town of Bethlehem and other Christmas carols. Then we got Shelly drinking too much, diving into the jacuzzi. Howard has to fish her out of the jacuzzi. There's like legitimately physical fighting. Like there's a fight that they film. <laughs> there's so much drinking. It is crazy. This will encompass the entire show and you can make the choice if you want to watch more. But that, it is 20 minutes, 20 straight minutes of just hitting the ground running insanity. I honestly think I will make the Anna Nicole Christmas party a annual tradition every Christmas. Every Christmas I watch Christmas Vacation, Garfield Christmas, because I love Garfield. I mean, that is the best, best thing ever. And I will also be adding the Anna Nicole Christmas party to my holiday viewing, because if that does not put you in the Christmas spirit, I really don't know what will. So that is my recommendation. Watch that on YouTube and definitely tell me what you think because your life is going to be changed. Anyway, um, ratings on the show, even though it started out with such a bang, I mean, it waned and it was canceled by 2004 after 28 episodes because, I mean, the spectacle wears off and we're all as humans attracted to spectacle. Like when there's a car accident, unfortunately, we're going to look at it. And after a while, the antics... They make you worry for this person. Like I said, I mean, Ozzy Osbourne was very similar to Anna Nicole Smith of the way they behaved on the show in the sense of they just seemed out of it. They couldn't really speak. And the difference was we had the level heads of Sharon Osbourne. We had Kelly. We had Jack that we knew would take care of Ozzy. And Anna, she had Kimmy, Howard, and Sugar Pie. Now, I'm sure Sugar Pie had Anna's best interests at heart, but I can't say the same for Howard and Kimmy because honestly, they seemed like enablers. At the end of the day, I, they agreed with everything Anna said. They agreed with everything she did. They never kind of shook her and said like, Anna, you need to start taking care of yourself. I mean, maybe they did, but we saw it off camera. But from what we saw, they really, really seemed to enable the behavior and they were yes people. And when you're dealing with someone that's struggling like Anna, you can't be a yes person. You can't be an enabler. And it's tough to watch because Daniel, he hated being on the show because of course, Anna couldn't make a straight sentence and she would act crazy. And the kids at school would come up to him and say, dude, like, what is your mom on? So he hated being on the show. And that's really tough to watch, especially as an adult. But, you know, as a kid, I, I watch this show. I watch it every week and I love this show. I mean, my sister and I were obsessed with it. Like we knew it was risque because we'd watch it at night or we'd watch it in another room. But my God, I mean, it, it is crazy. It's a crazy show. And and I wonder sometimes, like the stuff I watched as a kid, how did I not turn out insane? Like how, like I'm nobody's angel to early 2000s reference, but like I'm not a perfect person, but I think I turned out okay considering. Like this is, 
the stuff we used to watch in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was some crazy stuff on that TV. And it was obvious that the E! Network really was exploiting her. They really exploited her at a really, really vulnerable time. And somebody says, this woman comes up to her on the show and says, I think you're great, but I think you're being exploited. And she goes, oh, well, you know, at least they're paying me. And we have no choice but to stand, obviously, because it's like, if you're going to get exploited, at least get a check. Because, I mean, Anna, at the end of the day, is all about the coin. But it's true. I mean, E really was putting this for us to laugh at her. And again, she's America's punchline. But at least she was getting paid for it. But it's it's tough how that's kind of the trade-off. But anyway, by 2004, Anna had taken on a new role of being the ambassador for the Diet Pill Trim Spa, and she had quickly lost 69 pounds, and she credited this to Trim Spa, but she was also privately injecting herself with a myriad of different drugs and human growth hormones. So really, really dangerous. It's just so unhealthy and upsetting when you like know the background of things and those commercials those trim spa commercials they were everywhere like do you guys remember those like do you remember her weird commercials like of her like coming out of the ocean in a wetsuit like like my body like that was weird or trim spa baby like all Like, so nostalgic. Um, And that commercial, I mean, it honestly looked like one big PowerPoint. Like, it was just such a weird commercial. But, like, what were the early 2000s? Again, like, how did we as kids survive this? Like, no wonder the younger generation wants to be a part of it. But, like, we lived through this and we all came out somewhat normal. Well, most of us did. But it's like, how? Because we... We live through the craziest time. So anyway, Anna is doing her thing as the Trim Spot ambassador. And she's in, remember that Kanye West video, The New Workout Plan? And that's also when she kind of introduces him at the Billboard Music Awards. Remember that clip where she's like, now this next performer, like she's on another planet. And that's kind of when it starts getting really uncomfortable and I mean it's been uncomfortable for a while but like you watch that clip and you're like we're watching someone spiral in front of us and you feel really helpless because what can you do it has to be the people who are closest to her but she's around a ton of enablers but by 2005 the Marshall v Marshall case was still kicking and they kept trying to elevate this and by 2005 none other than the Supreme Court decided to take the case on to decide if the bankruptcy court had any jurisdiction in the district court. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, our girl Anna Nicole could potentially testify in front of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like this is how intense this case and how Pierce Marshall would not stop at anything. And Howard was really excited that the Supreme Court was going to potentially agree to take this on. So he started prepping for that case. And while he was doing that, Anna started seeing a photographer named Larry Burkhead. So they met at the Kentucky Derby in 2004. And 
on the show, like that was their thing. Like they'd always go to the Kentucky Derby. There was a few episodes of them going. So that's where she met Larry. And Larry was a young photographer and their relationship blossomed so quickly. And Anna wanted to have a baby with him. And Anna had actually been trying to have another child for a while. Like she even tried to have a child with J. Howard Marshall. But of course that didn't work out because he was very, very old. And she wrote in her diary a few times that she wanted to have another child before Daniel, quote, left her. So she wanted to, by any means, with anybody, she just wanted to have another child. It's like Asa Base. All that she wants is another baby. So eventually she did get pregnant with Larry's baby, but unfortunately they lost that baby shortly after. But soon enough, Anna was pregnant again and they were absolutely ecstatic. But Anna was still using and Larry was constantly fighting with her. And for the first time ever, Daniel and Anna began to fight as well because you watch on the show, they had such a tight knit relationship, but things began to wear on Daniel and Daniel was fed up with his mom's drug use. And oftentimes he would take her pills, he'd flush them down the toilet And after about four months into the pregnancy, Anna suddenly became extremely paranoid for her baby's health. And she immediately was like, okay, no more medication. I'm off of everything. But of course, she'd been using for so long and so consistently, this came with very severe withdrawal symptoms. And Anna was admitted to the hospital. It was like honestly a strange scene in there because you have Howard and Larry both in the hospital room trying to pine for Anna's attention. You know, it's like the three stooges just like trying to all work out and get just attention from the same woman. It's just just a weird scene. But as soon as Anna was out of the hospital, she was back on the drugs she had just detoxed from because she had been seeing a quack doctor who was prescribing her anything that she was asking for. And Larry and her were constantly arguing and she didn't want him in her life anymore. She said, I'm out. You're not in the baby's life. Leave. So that has to be such a hard situation, especially for Larry, when you know someone's pregnant with your child and she's keeping you from her and the baby that's going to be born in a few months. So really, really upsetting. And with all of this turmoil, Daniel himself was suffering. He was drinking. He was also using. He was fighting a lot with Anna. And one night he destroyed his room in a complete fit of anger. And Anna was like, "Okay, you're done. We're out. She kicked him out and he actually moved back in with that guy, Ray Martino, in the valley. So while this is all happening, the Supreme Court does end up hearing the case and they come down with a decision. And basically, I'll put this in as much layman terms as possible. But basically what Pierce Marshall was arguing was that in terms of contesting a will, which not many wills are contested, but in terms of contesting a will, he argued that the bankruptcy court does not have the jurisdiction to make decisions like they did for her $450, or excuse me, $450 million settlement. And basically the Supreme Court says, actually, yeah, they do. The bankruptcy court does have a jurisdiction over that. So they basically send the case back to an appellate court and said, you have free reign to continue this case if you so choose. However, in the craziest twist of fate, Pierce Marshall comes down with a really, really aggressive infection of strep. And 
the infection winds up killing him and he dies on June 20th, 2006, while this is all still happening. But his wife knew how important this case was to him. So he can, she vows to continue the crusade in Pierce Marshall's name. And after they're waiting for the case to go to the appellate court and resume, Anna says, I want to get out of here. I want to start a new life. And she was running from a myriad of different things. So her and Howard K. Stern relocate to an island in the Bahamas. Now, Anna, like I said, was running from a few things. And one of them, one of the biggest things being that she's currently pregnant with a baby who was fathered by a man she no longer wants in her life. So she thought, if we move to the Bahamas, it's going to be a lot harder for Larry Burkhead to pursue having custody of the child. So Howard K. Stern and Anna move and relocate to the Bahamas. And Daniel was extremely concerned for his mom because he claimed that Howard was enabling her drug use. And it's such a shame because he says he felt so helpless and he too was fading his own demons. So I can't imagine how anxiety inducing and how just difficult that situation would be. And he was admitted later to the hospital and was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, which I feel like it's such a blanket term. So he really was going through such a difficult time. And as Daniel was flailing and trying to stay afloat, doing his best, on September 7th, 2006, he got a call that his new baby sister, Danny Lynn Hope, was born. She was born in the Bahamas, and Anna Nicole had the baby girl she had dreamed of for so long. And on the birth certificate, she listed Howard K. Stern as the father. Daniel soon went to the Bahamas. He wanted to see his mom. He wanted to see his new sister. And when Howard picked him up from the airport, Howard was kind of taken aback and he was kind of alarmed because Daniel had lost so much weight. And Daniel was already thin to begin with, so he was much, much thinner already than Howard had already remembered him as. So he got to the hospital, he snapped some pictures with his mom and his new baby sister, and he wanted to spend the night with them. So he positioned himself in a chair next to her bed to sleep with her through the night. And several times throughout that night, he woke up to help her use the bathroom and, you know, they fell asleep together. He went in her bed and they just fell asleep, her, Danny Lynn and Daniel all in the bed watching television. So just a normal night, everything was going fine. So Anna woke up around 9.30 that morning. And as she woke up, she reached for Daniel and she put her hand on him and she realized his body was very, very cold. And she immediately knew something was wrong. Something wasn't right. So she immediately screamed for Howard and Howard and the doctors rushed in and they immediately realized that Daniel did not have a heartbeat and they tried to revive him for over an hour, but it was just unfortunately too late. Daniel was pronounced dead from an accidental overdose. He had fatally mixed Lexapro, Methadone, and Zoloft, and this combination just proved fatal for him, and he was only 20 years old. So of course, Anna was absolutely devastated. I remember when this happened, it was just so, so sad and shocking, and 
I just remember I was a kid and I felt so bad for Anna because you just knew how much she loved Daniel and she was absolutely beside herself. She had to be sedated at his funeral and even to this day, it just breaks my heart because it's such a massive tragedy. I mean, you have this excitement of welcoming a new baby and then you lose your son three days later. So it was just a just a horrible situation and a really, really sad part of this story that had so many unexpected twists and turns. And a couple weeks after Daniel's death, Howard and Anna actually hosted a commitment ceremony on the beach in the Bahamas, committing their love to each other. And she also hoped that listing Howard's name on Danny Lynn's birth certificate would kind of thwart off any paternity cases from Larry Burkhead. I think Anna was trying to be strategic because I don't think she was in love with Howard K. Stern, but she just didn't want Larry to raise Danny Lynn. She wanted Howard to do it. So Anna was really trying her best to make sure that Howard was going to be raising the baby. And in February 2007, still reeling from the tragedy of Daniel's death, Anna, Danny Lynn, and Howard relocated to Hollywood, Florida, and they were staying at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. And it's interesting because this was also the hotel that was featured in the Trim Spa commercial. Like you could win a stay at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. So that was kind of the connection Anna was going to live here. And Anna really was just barely hanging on. She was going day by day. She was dealing already with a massive infection and constant fever from injecting those human growth hormones. And because of the fever, she couldn't sleep. And also because she was so depressed because of Daniel's death, she was not getting any sleep at all. And she was mixing a myriad of drugs, including Clonopin, Ativan, and Valium. And all of those were actually being prescribed to her by that quack psychiatrist she was seeing. He was prescribing her anything she wanted, even though she was trying to wean off of these pills. And because she wasn't sleeping, she was also literally sucking liquid sleeping medication from a baby bottle. She just had a straw in there and was drinking it straight. So she was basically medicating herself just to get through the day or just to get hour by hour. It's just to, you know, wake up, live through the day and go to sleep. Just, it's so, it was just a very, very, very sad time. And All of this came to a head on the morning of Thursday, February 7th, 2007, nearly exactly five months after Daniel's death. So Howard had left Anna in the care of their bodyguard, and he left to run some errands. And by 1 p.m. that afternoon, Howard got a call that Anna was not breathing. Her bodyguard actually found her in the bathroom, and he was trying to revive her, but she there was no heartbeat. There was no, she was not breathing. So he called the paramedics, and they came, and Anna was pronounced dead about two hours later. She was only 39 years old. And Anna actually died in a very similar way to Daniel, where the amount of drugs they took, it wasn't a fatal amount. It was the drugs that they were mixing. It was the drugs that they were taking together that kind of mixture just was so toxic. And that is what killed them. And a lot of people close to Anna said that she said for a very long time that she was going to die from a drug overdose like Marilyn Monroe. 
And it's so sad because it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy and just such a tragedy. And I, I remember when Anna died, I was a sophomore in high school and I gotten home. And of course, I mean, there was no smartphones, not really any texting back then. And my, I got home from high school and my sister was home and she was watching Inside Edition because that's what we used to do, get our news after school. And she, I walked through the door and she said, Anna Nicole died. And I was so shocked and I was really, really sad. But I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't entirely surprised. I mean, Anna was one of those people who lived life so fast and had so many habits where it was she wasn't taking care of herself. And I think she lived life like she was living on borrowed time. And it's so unfortunate because... I feel like a lot of people felt like this was only a matter of time. And I just remember when it happened, the only solace I felt at the time was that she was reunited with Daniel. And I remember her funeral was extremely extravagant. She had a casket with a pink blanket on it and it was rhinestoned and it said Anna in rhinestone. There was flowers, there was everything. And it was just a very fitting send off for her, but it was just so sad. It was such a loss and it was just, just a really unfortunate situation and a really sad ending to a story that already was so tumultuous. And the twists and turns kept coming even after her death. There was still so much drama. Virgie, her mom, actually wanted Anna buried in Texas. And she actually got into a legal battle with Howard K. Stern, who wanted her buried in the Bahamas with Daniel. And eventually the judge settled with Howard K. Stern and Anna was buried in the Bahamas next to her son, Daniel. So after that was settled, a another legal battle was just beginning and this was the paternity war for Danny Lynn. Now, if you remember this, if you followed this, you know how absolutely insane this was. It was covered everywhere because Larry came out publicly that he was the father and he began fighting with Howard. But then things kind of got a little bit weird because a bunch of other men started coming out claiming the paternity of Danny Lynn, like so many people came out of the woodwork, including, which I'm sure you did not have this on your bingo card, Zsa, Zsa Gabor's elderly husband, Prince Frederick von Anhalt. Like what? That was the biggest curveball. Just this old man coming out saying, I have been having an affair with Anna Nicole Smith for years and I'm the father of the baby. Could you imagine you are Zsa Zsa Gabor at 90 years old and your old husband is saying, I've been with Anna Nicole and I fathered this child. Like what? I'm sure Zsa Zsa just wanted to go back to Green Acres at that point. I mean, this was nuts. Actually, Green Acres was Eva Gabor, her sister. Sorry, Green Acres is, is like a show from the 1960s. I used to watch a lot of Nick at Night as a kid, but um, Zsa Zsa Gabor's sister was on that show. Sorry, I'm like thinking out loud now. But um, I couldn't imagine. This was nuts. It was, watching the news at that time was absolutely insane. Like we were living in a fever dream. I remember it vividly. But the thing was though, like Danny Lynn looked exactly like Larry Burkhead. Like they were twins. And I remember in like Us Weekly, 
they would do side by sides of like Howard K. Stern, and then it was Danny Lynn in the middle and Larry Burkhead. Like they looked exactly alike. Like Howard K. Stern has dark features, and Larry Burkhead, blonde hair, blue eyes. Danny Lynn, blonde hair, blue eyes, looked exactly like him. We all knew it was Larry Burkhead's daughter, and it was just a matter of time until it was proven. And eventually we did get the DNA results back, and the court intervened, and Larry was pronounced the father of Danny Lynn. And Howard K. Stern said he would not fight for custody. So you may ask yourself, okay, well, where do we go from here? So Danny Lynn, she actually was the sole person listed on Anna Nicole's will. And Danny inherited about maybe a little under uh, the million dollars of assets from her mom. And they continued to actually try the case, the Marshall v. Marshall case, to try to get some of those assets that Anna had been fighting for for over 10 years. But with both people dead, Anna Nicole died and Pierce Marshall also died, the court it kind of fizzled out. And by June 2011, it was decided that Anna was not entitled to any of that money from J. Howard Marshall. So Unfortunately, Danny Lynn never saw any of the settlement from the court case that her mother had fought for so long. And in 2009, Howard K. Stern and Anna's, two of Anna's doctors that she was seeing were actually charged with conspiracy because they were charged with conspiring to continue to give drugs to a drug addict. And these charges were later dropped, but I think it's apparent that a lot of people did view Howard K. Stern as a big-time enabler to Anna Nicole Smith, and I have to agree. Watching the show and reading everything, especially as an adult now, it's very, very apparent that he really enabled a lot of dangerous habits for her. And I think Howard did this because he loved her so much and didn't want to say no to her, but... At the time, Anna really needed somebody to give her tough love and really support her on her journey to sobriety. Because I think saying yes and giving in was very, very dangerous and ultimately led to her untimely death. So I do think Howard was a big time enabler. And I complain about social media a lot, but I do think one of the good things about social media is that it's given us more of a public platform than we had in 2007. I mean, if we had opinions about anything, we really had no way of voicing it. I mean, my mom used to write letters to the newspaper, but that was really the only way for us to voice our opinions. And now we can voice it on a much more public level. And I think that's good because when I was watching the Anna Nicole Smith footage, just what I've been trying to find through researching, it is really sad when you watch this because we couldn't do anything about this. We would watch these people spiral and it was really, really upsetting, but it was just throwing them on reality television or throwing them on the news or we couldn't say anything in support of these people or why isn't anyone helping them? And I think now with social media, we have a bigger platform to say things and call things out. And I don't know if it would have been any different or it would have been any different of an outcome, but at least we could show our support and say, hey, this person really, really, really needs help and make that opinion and cry for help a lot more public than we could back then. 
And he actually gave a lot of Anna Nicole's personal belongings to Danny Lynn. He also sold some of Anna Nicole's estates. But he Howard K. Stern has really kept a very, very low profile since Anna Nicole's death. I did read that he has been working as a prosecutor because he still has his... Um, attorney license and but he's just been keeping such a low profile um larry burkhead has been raising danny lynn in kentucky and i've watched a bunch of different specials on them and she really seems like such a well-adjusted young girl she's 15 now which is crazy and she looks exactly like anna nicole and she really really seems so sweet she's so shy and i think all the all things considered larry has done a really really great job with her and he has been a really really great father to her so i think everything that came out of this it's it's really nice to see how well adjusted danny lynn burkhead is and he's brought her to the bahamas i was watching a special the people in the bahamas still really hold her in high regard they were taking pictures with danny lynn and it was just sweet she seems like a really really sweet girl so so the fact that danny lynn has done so well is kind of a heartwarming ending to a really really sad situation and i hope anna and daniel wherever they are they just have peace and they are doing really really well so that's kind of it's a very somber ending to such a twists and turns but like I said at least we have Danny Lynn who seems really really happy in her life so that is really really nice to see so to wrap up that is the absolutely insane story of Anna Nicole Smith I hope you guys were able to follow I know there was a ton of twists and turns it's definitely a truth is stranger than fiction situation i still can't believe that some of that actually happened and the whole thing happened in a lot of our lifetimes so i think this is a story that we'll be thinking of for years to come and again it's a very very sad ending but at least we can keep her memory alive through danny lynn and see danny lynn progress and i'm excited to see what's in her future because she really will keep the memory of Anna and Daniel alive. And I think that is great. So I really hope you all enjoyed this episode. And um, now that I think about it, this will be the last episode that we record in my studio apartment that I always reference because a few weeks ago I put an offer in on a condo and it was accepted and I will be moving in in about a week and it has just been very, very exciting, very, very stressful and it came on so soon but I am just over the moon excited and this is something I've wanted to do for a very, very long time. I've lived in this studio for 10 years so it's crazy like all my entire 20s were spent here so it's definitely going to be an adjustment but I am just so so excited and honestly just really really proud it's possible I promise you especially as a single woman or a single person you can do it on your own I am living proof of it so you just gotta work really, really hard, but it's uh, an amazing, amazing feeling. So very, very excited. That is kind of what has been keeping me busy over the last few weeks and kind of keeping me stressed out alongside school and work. But I am just excited to get in there and continue to produce 
even better content for you uh, and the Diving Board podcast. I'm excited for this new era of the podcast in the new space. So thank you again for bearing with me. I'm excited to just get back to a consistent basis because I really do love talking to you guys and this is my favorite thing to do. It's just so fun for me and I love that when you guys say that you enjoy it and look forward to it. So again, I'm looking forward to this summer and in the new place and producing more episodes and more bonus episodes for you guys. I have a lot of fun ideas. So very, very exciting. So if you enjoyed this episode and you learned anything, please, I would love and appreciate so much if you rated me five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're so inclined to write me a review on Apple Podcasts, that just helps me out so much and motivates more people to listen and join our little family. And if you want to join our family on Instagram, I am on at diving board pod and that is b-o-r-e-d so fun little way to follow the podcast as well we would love to have you over there so thank you all so much again i'm so happy to be back and i will see you all next week take care everyone